0: 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 we're going to be beginning in verse 3 and go through verse 12 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 through verse 12 We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just. the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you would work powerfully among us by your Holy Spirit in and through the preaching of your word, I pray that you would give me clarity and even by your spirit, the ability to communicate these glorious, glorious truths for the upbuilding of the body of Christ, for the strengthening of the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would illumine our hearts, that we would understand your word, and that you would bring about life change. And God, for those who have not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. In Nepal, a local church met on their leased property recently when an angry Hindu man interrupted ordering the congregation to stop their Christian activities. He then dragged one of the elders out and hit him in the face with a fist full of mud. The elder informed the landowner of the incident but the Hindu man pressured the landowner not to let the Christians use his land. And after government officials became involved, the Hindu man demanded that the Christians should come silently, pray and then leave. He told them, we don't want to hear them singing and praying. If we hear them singing, anything can happen and we're not responsible. And some believers are scared to come to church now and they're looking for another place where they can gather for worship, this is one of the testimonies found on the Voice of the Martyrs website of stories of persecuted brothers and sisters around the globe. Another one from the Voice of the Martyrs website is from Ethiopia. Although he hadn't yet told his wife about his decision to follow Christ, she had already noticed a change in his character. Nevertheless, when she learned that he had left Islam, she was not happy about it and his brother was so ashamed that he left the village. While Ethiopian Orthodox Christianity is the largest religion in the nation, parts of Southern Ethiopia are predominantly Muslim with societal norms similar to those of other Muslim majority nations. And two days after telling his friends at the mosque his shocking news, a group of Muslims armed with torches and weapons descended on Samir's home at 1 a.m., urged on by a sheik named Abu Salam. Let's kill him and destroy him so we can stop the growth of this religion in our village, one man shouted. Samir quickly led his wife and 10 children out the back of the house and into the jungle as more than 500 people watched his house burn, laughing as it was consumed by fire. When Samir's wife saw how cruelly the Muslims were treating them, she and the children decided they too would follow Christ. From today on, we will die for Jesus, she told Samir. The next day, the pastor of the church called Samir to invite him to a discipleship training class led by the Ethiopian Kale Hewat Church for Christian converts from Islam. And when he heard the family was homeless, he invited them to come along. It's hard for us to even wrap our minds around the kind of persecution that is happening all over the world. And some people are having their houses burned, their villages burned, seeing their family beheaded. People are dying for Christ all over the world. And these are just a few of the stories. And when Paul is writing to persecuted Christians in Macedonia, in the first century, he's writing to a persecuted church. Those who are being slandered and hated, and we don't know what persecutions they were. They could have lost their jobs, their homes, but they were suffering all kinds of persecutions. In verse three, we see we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness. See, Paul was concerned his first letter to the Thessalonians was because he was concerned that they would give up in their persecutions. That they would walk away from the faith, he was concerned that they wouldn't remain. In his first letter, he, he writes to them in and, and finding out from Timothy and Silas that yes, they were remaining in the faith. Yes, they were remaining steadfast. And they loved him. They were thankful. And they had joy even in the midst of their persecutions. Paul says... He boasts about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. See, it wasn't just persecutions. Paul uses a different word here and it's afflictions and he broadens the category of everything that they were going through. Afflictions. Persecutions. And although you might not be able to relate today to the persecutions, maybe you can relate to the afflictions. Maybe you can relate to the reality of suffering every single day in inscrutable pain that will not go away. And everyone around you is praying for you and it won't stop and you've grown weary. Maybe you're dealing with an illness right now, a battle with cancer, or watching a loved one suffer. Maybe you're watching a loved one age and get older and older and pass 100 years old and wonder why, Lord, won't you just take me home? I'm ready. why have you left me here what is my purpose in life at this age and you begin you begin to question god god why why won't it stop why won't you give relief Why are the evildoers prospering? I've followed you for years and it won't stop. What is happening, Lord? Do you care for me? Do you love me? Are you mad at me? And you don't get an answer. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12 and following beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. In chapter four, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, we were despairing of life itself. We wanted to die. And yet this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Watch this. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, to us. And finally, First Thessalonians, Paul says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer. And just as you know, why, oh Lord, how can it be right for me to suffer like this, for us to suffer like this, for my loved one to suffer like this, who loves you so much? How can it be right? One of the most important things that we need to learn as followers of Christ is how to rightly view our sufferings, our afflictions, our persecutions, so that we are not moved in our faith. Paul describes the church at Thessalonica as strong in the faith. Unmoved in their faith. They've been steadfast. They've had joy. They've endured the afflictions by faith. And verse 5 says this look, verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Now, in the original language, it is one sentence from verse 3 to verse 10, one sentence. And you have to trace Paul's argument all the way through. So it goes like this. We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God and for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring evidence of the righteous judgment of God. So first of all, we need to understand what is the evidence the evidence is not the afflictions in and of themselves the evidence is not the persecutions in and of themselves the evidence that this is the righteous judgment of god is that they are enduring by faith that they are steadfast and immovable in the midst of these afflictions it's the demonstration that, that god is sustaining them with them he is he is causing them to endure Now, wait a minute, it says this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Whoa, whoa. judgment of God? I thought judgment was reserved for evildoers. Judgment of God is used throughout the Bible primarily in the wrath of God coming on sin and evildoers. Yes, that is absolutely true. Charlotte and I were sitting there yesterday uh, watching football and I was on my phone on my ESV app and I was looking up every use of judgment in the Bible and Charlotte thought I was just scrolling and, and looking at, you know, the internet, but I was looking up this word because it is used throughout the Bible and the predominant use is judgment of God is the wrath of God coming on sin and evildoers. but there's another use another understanding of the word of judgment in that a judge makes a judgment and a judge has a responsibility to make a righteous judgment right to to render rightly to decide rightly and we see in Romans chapter 11 verse 33 oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Now Paul has just described the glory of God's grace in choosing some for salvation and choosing to bring judgment on those. He gives an example of Pharaoh. He That it was God's mercy towards some and God's judgment on others and God's mercy and grace towards some is highlighted and exalted by the backdrop of the just judgment on others. How God brought a partial hardening upon the Jewish people until the fullness of the number of Gentiles comes in at the second coming of Christ. And you're wondering... Is this right? Is this just? In fact, in in Romans chapter nine, that's what, you know, Paul anticipates that question. How can that be right? How can that be fair? So he ends this section on the incredible, gracious purposes of God through the gospel with this glorious doxology. And ever Back in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 16, in a section on justice, verse 18, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, appointing or according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. In Ezekiel. 44, I believe it is, he talks about rendering right judgment in accordance with God's judgments, with his commandments, with his laws, his ways. All of your ways are right. All of your judgments are just. What Paul is talking about in this passage in 2 Thessalonians, evidence of the righteous judgment of God is you're enduring in these sufferings that it is right for God to allow you to go through these, that he has appointed these sufferings. Now, most of us, even right now, would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can God appoint sufferings for his people? And Paul is saying it's right. Go with me here. It's right and it's, it's good. All of the, the doctrinal statements of old say that, that God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And we try to excuse that. We're like, well, he couldn't have ordained my sufferings. Well, if I'm suffering, then, then my sufferings are coming through his fatherly hands, his loving fatherly hands, and he has appointed them for me to go through by his grace. And Paul gives us four reasons. Four reasons in this text why it is right that God has ordained persecutions and afflictions for his people. And that's why we've got to take this together. At first you might read it and say, wow, this is the the most incredible hellfire brimstone text in the New Testament. And you might, and it is. But Paul is writing this to encourage Suffering and afflicted Christians. There's a purpose in telling us about what is going to happen at the second coming to encourage us in our present afflictions and struggles right now. So, it is right that God has ordained persecutions and afflictions for His people. And here's four reasons. Number one, His purpose of preparation... His purpose of preparation. Look at verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous <clears throat> judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. That. In order that. There is a divine purpose here so that you will... So, <clears throat> so that... You may be considered or counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Now, let's define that word worthy. When we think of worthy, we think of deserving. That's not what it means here. That you may be be considered fit. That you may be considered ready. That you may be considered suited for the kingdom of God is what he's saying. There is a purpose in these afflictions that God is going to make you ready through these afflictions for the second coming of Christ. It's it's not just that He is going to conform us more and more to His image. He does that progressively through a lot of different means. One of the means is suffering and difficulty and trials and tribulations. But He says in order that you may be counted worthy, counted fit for the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So there is a divine purpose that is a glorious purpose. In fact, the title of this sermon is God's Glorious Purposes and Just Judgments Culminating in the Second Coming of Christ. John Piper said this in a sermon to pastors at a pastor's conference. He said this, you get to teach them talking about the church. You get to teach them how to understand their sufferings, because if they get mad at God while they're being afflicted, they are totally out of touch with what they need. What, what Paul is saying is, is that we need to be fit for the revelation of Jesus Christ for when he comes we need to be ready we need to be suited for that day and many of us right now are so casual about our Christian lives we're not thinking about that day at all we're not thinking about being fit for that day we're not thinking about being suited for that day we're worried about the things of the world we're distracted by the things of the world. So God uses these kinds of afflictions to test us and to train us and to prepare us for that great day. So the Piper says this, our affliction is God's infirmary to heal us from the disease of worldliness and to fit us to marvel at Christ when he comes. Now that's a glorious purpose. And because of that glorious purpose, we can say, it it is right. We can say with the psalmist, it is good that you have afflicted me, O Lord. Teach me your commandments. We can humbly bear up under God's righteous ways, His ways that we don't understand, and say, it is good. Instead of saying, Why? What is my purpose? We could say, God, I know what you're doing. You're preparing me for glory right now. And these momentary afflictions don't even compare to the weight of glory that I will experience. So, Lord, it's good. Give me faith. Give me strength. Give me energy to endure right now for your glory. It's right. That God has ordained persecutions and afflictions for His people. Because number one, His purpose of preparation. He's getting a people prepared to meet their king. He's getting His bride ready for the bridegroom. But secondly, number two, His promise of retaliation. Look at verse six. Since indeed God considers it just, is the same word righteous, to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So the Christians are bearing up under persecutions and they're wondering, God, you have the power to make them stop. Why won't you make them stop? And if they're in Rome, they would be instructed by Paul in this way. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't take vengeance. Trust that God will take vengeance. Wait for him. You trust him. God will make it right. He promises retaliation. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction, those who afflict you, the word is repay. Repay the appropriate amount so we don't have to take it in our own hands. We don't have to get vengeance now. God will get vengeance later. And it's right, Paul says, that he gets vengeance. day his promise of retaliation is on those who persecute and afflict his people so his people don't need to try to get vengeance no they can wait patiently wait the day and entrust it into his care into his hands we just sang it whatever my god ordains is right patiently we wait that day that day is the day of the lord jesus christ The day of the Lord. So his retaliation or his divine punishment, his eternal punishment is coming on those who continue and continue and never stop persecuting and afflicting his people, on those who refuse to know him. He says, on those who do not know God. Now, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that everybody knows God. Because of general revelation, it is perfectly clear that there is a God who is king and the creator over all. Everybody knows it. And he says, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So, these that refuse to know him are those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We refuse to know him. We refuse to acknowledge him all over the world, to the ends of the earth, and on those who refuse to obey his gospel. I mentioned last week that John Calvin says that the gospel is not a word to be considered. It's a word to be obeyed. Obey the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. This is is good news for all people to be received in obedience and faith. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, come. And it's obedience to come. Obey the gospel, his promise of retaliation. It's amazing that the language here is the same as in Isaiah 66 verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind. To render His anger in fury and His rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire the Lord will enter into judgment and by His sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. The promise of the day of the Lord was that there was the coming wrath of God on all who do not know Him and do not obey Him. His wrath, his, His righteous Anger is coming and it's an eternal destruction. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. So that it will leave them neither root nor branch. The day of the Lord is a terrible day of righteous indignation and righteous wrath and fury that is coming against rebellion and all evildoers, all sin. But for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus bore the wrath of God that was coming on our sins in our place. He bore it in our place. He took the wrath of God. In fact, in First Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols. You repented. You turned from, from idols to God to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, those who are not in Christ will not be delivered from the wrath to come. They will be destroyed by the wrath to come. His promise of retaliation is terrifying and this is an encouragement to the believers who are are suffering you're saying God is not going to let them get away with it God will give them a just repayment for all of the persecutions he will make all wrongs right on that day his purpose of preparation, and then his promise of retaliation, which leads to his promise of vindication. Number three, his promise of vindication. Go back to the beginning of verse seven. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. To grant relief, to grant rest, You're enduring it now. You're suffering now. But God is going to grant you rest on that day. He's going to grant you relief. He is going to vindicate you. And what's interesting about this is those passages that speak of the wrath of God, the the coming destruction on evildoers. In those same passages, there's a promise of vindication, a promise of comfort. In the Malachi passage, after he says that he's going to set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it, it will neither leave them root nor branch. He says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Here's coming. It's comfort Comfort is coming, relief is coming on the same day of that great and terrible judgment of wrath. In Isaiah chapter 61, the passage that Jesus quoted in the synagogue. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that's the vindication. While the evildoers are being cast away into eternal judgment, God's people are comforted, vindicated as his people with relief and rest. That promise of vindication is an encouragement to the people of God at Thessalonica, that God is righteous in His ways, that He's righteous in His judgments. They can trust Him. But finally, number four, verses 10 to 12, His purpose of glorification. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all, all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed to this end we pray so here's the purpose that Paul is Paul and Silas and Timothy we're praying this brothers and sisters to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and, may, and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that so really the That that God would make them worthy of his calling is the, the penultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose, Paul says, is this verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ all of his ways are right his judgments are right and and the reason is number four his purpose of glorification that his people would be ready to glorify and to marvel at his christ the coming of his christ says says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and Paul says, God is making you ready for that day. He's getting you fit for that day so that you will rightly glorify Him as He ought to be glorified on that day. He'll be fit for that day. And to be marveled at among all who have believed. This is the exaltation of Christ among all of His people at His coming. He has rendered judgment on all of His enemies. And He's been glorified in the midst of all of his people that He bought with His precious blood. The purpose of glorification that His people would glory and marvel at the Christ of God that, and that Christ would be glorified by them and in them. Look at what He says. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him. That they would be prepared and fit To glorify Him on that day because He's worthy. This is about the glory of Christ. Our concern so much is about our afflictions, whether or not it's just for God to inflict vengeance on those who refuse to obey Him, who refuse to acknowledge Him. All over the world, we're so worried about that as Christians so many times rather than being concerned about being ready for the coming of Christ. And let me ask you this, are you ready? Because after reading this text, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I need to humble myself under the mighty hand of God and trust that He will exalt me at the proper time. I need to submit myself to His ways and and those things that he brings into my life to conform me more and more to the image of Christ and to get me ready. And instead of grumbling and fussing, I receive and patiently wait that day. Can you sing what we sang earlier? Whatever my God ordains is right. I will leave it to him patiently wait that day that's what Paul wants the Thessalonians to know and that's what the Spirit wants us to know today so that we don't give up so that we don't grow weary and we don't grow bitter in our afflictions and get mad at God rather we say God your ways are right I don't understand everything, but now I understand a little bit more what you're wanting to do in my life. You're wanting to get me ready. So I surrender. Lord, make me ready. Let's pray. Father, we just humble ourselves before you even right now. Lord, it may be that some of us need to just. Just ask for forgiveness. Maybe we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've grumbled, I've complained, I've fussed, I have. Gotten angry with you, I've gotten mad at you, I've charged you with wrong. Lord, please forgive me. Give me grace now for your glory. Lord, I trust you with all of your ways. They're right. And father, there may be some here today who've never bowed the knee to King Jesus. And God, I pray that right now in this moment that you would open blind eyes you would cause the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the dead to rise right now. That through the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the message of good news to sinners, that Christ died for our sins, he was raised from the dead, and that all who repent and believe will receive forgiveness and eternal life. I pray that through that glorious message, even right now, that you would Cause some to be born again to a living hope. That you would grant repentance that leads to life. That today would be the day of salvation for many. So please do that. Have your way among us and we'll give you the glory because you're worthy and all of your ways are right. In Jesus name. Amen.